We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues and hosts, incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. It is happening. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Crazy and the King. Hey, I know you've heard that phrase, um, angry. I, I could probably pick any one that I want, but because we are having a uh, special conversation today, uh, I know that you've heard the phrase angry black man. Yeah. When you, when you heard that phrase, like this is well before you rocking with Torin, crazy and the King. So this is pre um, 2018. When you heard the phrase, Jay, what did you think? And I really want you to just try to go back, even if it causes you to pause, be silent for a moment, be honest. I really want you to think when you heard phrases like angry black woman, angry black man, because they never said angry white woman. They've, they've never said angry white man. It's always been angry black man, angry black woman. Occasionally, maybe. But that typically is the phrase. What did you think prior to doing all of this work in diversity and inclusion? And how are you? Yeah, it's a great question, uh, because the way I think about angry black man actually changed dramatically after you and I became friends, because we had very different conversations than I've ever had in my life about it. But that being said, I mean, I feel like when I heard it as a kid, it was just sort of probably something I heard pretty regularly as a kid. So it was just a common descriptor um, that I don't know if I took it as good or bad, but it certainly probably created something in me, right, that that started to set that bias as a child um, that I had to work through. But I think the other thing is, is that when I think about it, as kind of my first adult reactions, it was always about someone who was asking for what I had, right? Just normal things, normal things like, you know, Malcolm X is an angry black man. Uh, Dr. King was an angry black man. You know, Reverend Sharpton's an angry black man. Like it was always in it for me, at least my first reaction. And this really is like, truly you're getting it firsthand for me is that it was always directed at activist class black men as a way to demean them. Um, and I didn't I didn't realize that or understand that until I was probably in my 20s that that's that was done with purposeful action. Yeah. So so let me ask you, you know, and I know I cut you off. Uh, I, I apologize to a degree, but you said something and I want to I want to see if we can get in that conversation just a little bit. You said you didn't recognize it. First, you started as a, a child. And, and I know what you I think I know what you mean when you say as a child, you know, a mid level teen 
older teen, 18, 19, 20, where you're really recognizing what's happening? Actually, it was happening before that? Yes. I mean, as a kid, I grew up in a, in a very racist part of the country, still is a very racist part of the country. And so to I don't remember ever hearing like the N-word as, as a kid, but okay. it was derogatory. Interesting. Um, yeah, it, very, okay. very derogatory. So yeah, I'm talking. I in my brain, it was like seven, eight, nine. Okay, got it, got it. Thank you for that. All right, cool. So then you 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 say that you began to when when you really paid attention to the phraseology and and maybe even silently uttered it yourself. It was typically towards those that were more of the activists. And so I think I heard you say it was really in your 20s that you began to sort of wrestle with that understanding and really how it meant. You used the word to demean. I would like to throw in a word to diminish, if that's okay with you. You would use it to devalue, to diminish, to um, to distract individuals, if, if you will, from what was being said. And so for you now, does it sit how does it sit now when you hear that phrase? Does it cause you to pause when you say, if, if you hear it from someone or you read it somewhere, do you take a moment to say, wait a minute, let me evaluate who they are attaching it to, why they are attaching it, and sort of process it differently? What, what do you sort of take yourself mentally through? Yeah, so there's two times that actually kind of stand out to me in this moment. The first one is not long after you and I met, um, and you told me a story about something that you said on stage that caused you some uh, pain. Yep. And Chad and I actually stopped and we talked about it, and I'm like, I can get away with less saying less things than he can. You can get away with saying less things, I think, sometimes than I can as 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 I'm a you know an angry psycho woman, you're angry black man, then Chad can get away with, right? There's like, I can see clearly sort of that distinguishing yeah. now in a way that I couldn't until I knew someone who was a black man who had sort of a, not sort of has a platform. Yeah. So that like, what that conversation caused me to do was always to think about, um, how you have to say things differently than I have to, and I have to say them differently than you do. Um, and that's one of the things I, I have learned a lot from you. The other time um, is not an angry black man, but an angry black woman. When we had, um, when we had, oh my God, when we had Michael's wife on Melissa, um, the man that, that died a couple of years ago. Now uh, the disabled black man, why is yep. my brain blanking on the last name? Yep. Last name. Yep. Michael and Melissa and I was talking to um, someone who worked at the hospital and they started degrading her, diminishing her account of what happened as an angry black woman. And I was it like hit me immediately. And I was fucking furious. I'm like, I can see what's happening. I can see, you know, the words that you're using are meant to um, lessen my opinion of her or the validity of her claim. And you are doing it on purpose. And that was like, oh, this crazy aha moment for me of going like, no, no, that did, that's, I can see it. And now it's in someone, it's happening someone to someone that I know and, um, and, and you're doing it to her in front of me. That was like, that has sat with me the whole time. 
Yeah, I, I want I, I'm I'm looking away from the camera. I'm literally trying to I see the last name. It begins with an H. And for whatever reason, I cannot think of Michael's last name right now. And it's really blowing my mind because it was such a great example. Just the disregard in which they they uh, the, the way that they devalued the wife. Go ahead. Say it. Hickson. Hickson, that's it. I Hickson. knew it began with H. Thank you. Uh, Michael Hickson, you know, and the way that they devalued his wife, the family did not listen to her. Um, just the agony in the voicemail. I remember, I wish I, I could Google real quick um, the episode in which we talked about them. I, I want to see. Actually, I got to do that. You know what? I'm, I, I have to do that just so I can. I think that that was like episode um, July 8th of 2020 episode 21. Uh, I believe that was 21. So the reason I bring that up is because we're going to have a conversation uh, today with Zachary Nunn from Living Corporate. And I, I wanted to have this conversation and thank you again for just your honesty and your transparency, your slight moment of vulner vulnerability uh, your revelation, if you will, because I think it's extremely important for people to understand why uh, certain personas, persons, why we show up the way that we show up, unapologetic, unwavering, uh, relentless, if you will, um, determined. In, in how we present the information, how we challenge individuals to live and wrestle, as my good friend, Dr. Cornell West says, wrestle with what it means to be human. Zachary Nunn challenges you to wrestle with what it means to be human in the corporate corridor. And he does it in a way, again, that is, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean spirited. I'm not trying to be bombastic in, and, and toxic in the bowl in the China shop. I'm just simply saying here is, this is the, th these are the facts. And, and I want you to see the facts for what they are. One thing that I like about Zach is he's not an individual who's going to spend a great deal of time and in inordinate amount of time um, trying to go back and forth negatively. And you and I talked about this. There, there are some people that we have considered bringing on our show and we've said, you know, well, I know. Yeah, we, we, we've, we've just decided maybe not now, perhaps another time, but maybe not now, because that's not the energy in which we want to be captured uh, and recorded in history on our show. Zach has a voice that we want to be recorded historically on our show. And so I think it's going to be important for people to receive him differently than, um, than they made with that whole angry black man. So let's take a quick break and let's get to Mr. Zach Nott. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. 
So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. So, you know, in our prep torn for this conversation with Zach, um, CEO and founder of Living Corporate, we were talking to Zach about, you know, what really started as a, as a monthly singular podcast. And now it's turned into this sort of multimedia network called living corporate and, you know, how important it was for Zach to sort of think beyond just corporate diversity, equity, inclusion programs as they are and sort of bring us into a larger conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, when we when we had Zach, um, it was it was beautiful for him to really paint a colorful picture around the broadness of DNI and DNI related content. Not that that content had to uh, sit only in one place or business unit inside of the organization, but the broader collective of contribution you know, h- how we would raise and, and provide that content for the larger audience. And so if, if we can, let's just pick up where Zach really reinforced the need for this broader curation of content. You know, so Torn, as we were prepping for this call with Zachary Nunn, CEO and, and co-founder of Living Corporate, a, a new media platform, you know, Zach really told us he thinks corporate diversity, equity, inclusion programs are, are a scam. Um, and we're going to get to that in our conversation. But, you know, what we really wanted to know is how does this monthly singular podcast turn into this multimedia network? And why was it so important that Zach take this conversation in this direction? Yeah, it was. It was a really good conversation. I mean, we talked about online trolling. We talked about, you know, some of the things that he's uh, said around respectability politics in the workplace. But really, we have to start with why Living Corporate is here. And and for Zach, it was just about there not being any content. There not being enough content. There not being enough individuals that were contributing to the curation of that content. And I think third and most importantly, where this content was coming from. Zach really, really felt like we should have a broader range of voices contributing to the conversation. And so that's where we actually pick up in this episode of Crazy and the King. Just want to make sure that listeners heard what Zach said in that response. And in such, he didn't he didn't um, lay the responsibility of curating that content on um, a particular department like learning and development or a particular role like a chief diversity officer, he put it on a broader audience of individuals. And, you know, really what he um, is asking each of you to do, encouraging each of you to do, instructing each of you, even though it was a post response, we got to shift our relationship with power. We have to demand something different. Um, of those that are responsible for feeding, including developing and inspiring us inside of our workplaces, which is in part why we have living corporate. Go ahead, Jay. Yeah. I mean, I think just even more bluntly is that all of this is about keeping white people comfortable in power, certainly, but also comfortable with their power and not making us, um, 
have those uncomfortable conversations because then we may not choose to participate. And what would we do if if a white person chose not to participate? Um, and a quote that you had, Zach, in Va- uh, Voyage Dallas, I really loved is the reality is anytime you explicitly push to advocate for black and brown people, you'll face some adversity. We've had external pressures to broaden our platform to center white men in our work and stray away from certain terms in language like white supremacy, racism, and white fragility. You could go on to say, I honestly take that as a sign that we're on track because we're genuinely looking to include all perspectives. You've had white folks on, but we always want to center on the most marginalized. And my question in that is, you know, what's the backlash been from, you know, your your employer, your sponsors, listeners who are sort of lurking or trolling um, when you you've had that really frank conversation of we are we are staying centered on the population and the, the group that we are most interested in raising up. Yeah, thank you for the question. So the backlash comes in a few different ways. One, of course, on YouTube. Every first of all, we don't even like promote our content on YouTube like that. We use YouTube just like for SEO purposes. But um, every now and then, like a bunch of trolls will find a YouTube video and then start just comment bombing, um, disliking, whatever the case is. Living Corporate as a podcast on um, Apple Podcasts suffered a few um, trolls. But I'll say this is like we've been really fortunate um, in not getting super attacked like again like i can point to like a handful of videos and a handful of episodes where we've gotten and I've, i can you know maybe like seven or eight emails like you know but again like compared to other platforms not that crazy and then i think the other piece is when it comes to like our sponsors we're really selective and thoughtful in like who we choose to work with because we're very explicit and intentional about what our brand is and what we're doing so we don't get backlash like from our from any sponsors. That's also though why we don't do a lot of like in- dynamically inserted ads. We don't do we don't work like that. Like any brand that we work with, they know we're here to center and amplify black and brown voices. That does not mean we're here to necessarily demonize any other group. We are going to speak historically, factually, quite uh, objectively, uh, fa- again factually about the landscape that w- within which we exist. And that if that happens to hurt your feelings. Well, maybe you take this opportunity to learn and grow, right? But I'll I'll say, I'll say for us is that we've been really fortunate. Like, if I was to compare, I would say like, if I was to compare like all of our our engagements, right? I would only say maybe like fifteen percent of it is racist trolls, and I think that's pretty great when I look at other platforms and spaces where you know it might be half, and then you and then you become the space where like the majority of your content is clapping back at racist trolls, and like. I respect people on LinkedIn who do that, like who take the time to write content to shut racists down and all that kind of stuff. I feel like that's kind of like throwing a tennis ball against a wall. I don't know if you're really ever going to win that match. I'm not interested in doing that. I'm interested in creating content that centers and amplifies black and brown people. And so I'm never going to fall into the trap of like, oh, they wrote this about me or I don't like there's there's probably like 30 comments on. a on, We had an interview with uh, Syra Rao and Regina Jackson who created race to dinner and 
There's probably like a hundred comments on there that are all like race. I'm not about to be on YouTube, dog, arguing with y'all back and forth and commenting and trying to justify my position. We had we've had all you know, I'm not doing that. Like y'all have a blast with that. Thank you for giving keeping our engagement numbers up. I'm gonna stay on my mission. I'm gonna stay on our purpose. And I'm a, I'm gonna continue with that. And our sponsors appreciate that. And I appreciate that. As do we. And, you know, when when Julie said um, a moment ago, white fragility, it leads uh, to a clip, you know, that I captured earlier in the year or shall I say late in the year. You actually did an interview. Uh, you did an interview with um, some folks over at Blind and one of the hosts in uh, this right here. Uh, I'm, I'm saying Blind and I'm saying the host, Jack Kelly and his co-host, Rick Chen. But I say their names not in a way of um, being punitive, but amplifying or showcasing real time that white fragility that you mentioned. So in this clip, Jack is answering a question that you had. Your question to him was, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that something is being taken away from you. So so before you respond, let's let listeners hear the clip. Are you so what are you alluding to with the first statement? You're saying that you think that like you're saying you think that like black people have like some type of privilege they get more yes, scholarships than I white do. People. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, that's not that's not factual. So you, <laughs> should, you should you should like you should like yeah. read you should you should study because like that's yeah. not true. Well well think about it because every 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 company, right? You need a certain you, you know there's trying to uh have diversity in the workforce. And if you have, if you may have two people of, of similar skills, oftentimes the higher person who is kind of, who fits the bill that they say, Hey, we have to give that person a job. It just happens. Jack, who told you I, that? I, I've seen it for the last, you know, 20 something years with my like, own eyeballs. What, what, but, like, but like what, <laughs> you know? but what, but what data says that's not accurate though. I see it all the time. I get a Jack, good example. But Jack, give me an example. Pause, 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 yeah. pause. Jack, yeah. that's not that's that's factually not true. So 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 Zach, what do you think about that? Like, I know you meant what you said, but maybe you even have a, a different ninety day perspective since that was you know sixty to ninety days ago. Maybe there's even more that you would have wanted to say to him. He didn't provide you with data. What what struck me the most is that he says twice, three times, I, I've seen it happen. And then he said over the last ten or twenty years, like I was like floored that this guy really thinks that jobs are being given to black and brown people in other marginalized, underestimated communities more than they're being given to white men. I was just floored by that. And he was serious. He was genuine and serious. Yeah. So it was it was wild because. (laughs) So, okay. so let me so let, let me keep it a thousand thousand first of all i got mad love for uh rick and uh blind so while he was if y'all hear the whole episode it was it was strange and i and i think i said something like this is actually really interesting to engage in this in real time but i was also hitting up rick on the side and i was like hey man your host is wilding like i was really confused um and (laughs) what i was thinking about in real time torn was like and what i was just it was like man like these white folks are really, really threatened by non-white people. Like, and it was scary. And I think I said this later in the conversation because I said, you should read more. I told him you should 
you should pick up something. You, you did. You, you sure did. Like, you absolutely did. <laughs> because because it was scary to me. Because, like, man, this is a grown man. Like, Torn, like, I think he's older than me and you, dog. Like, he's grown. Mm-hmm. So it was scary. Like, you've been living life long enough, and you're advising executives, and you've been doing recruiting. You, he, he said himself, I've been recruiting for 20-plus years, whatever he said. I'm like, bro, like, you, by the merit of your own experience, you should have a more informed position. So it was scary. It was sad. Um, and it made me mad because it was like, well, damn, like, this is kind of the example of what I mean. Like, there are people out here who really are dedicated to making themselves victims. There are people dedicated to using their anecdotal experiences, which is, again, through the lens of their own biases, to then make broad statements about whole groups of people that have been oppressed. And I think. The last thing I'll say is it hurt me because it's like, it's like, dog, like later in that conversation, he kept talking and I kept just saying, hey, let's look at, let's just look at the the data trends. Like, let's look at the data. And then like in real time, if y'all like want to, if y'all listen to the whole episode, you'll hear in real time, he made some comment about, well, what about these poor white guys who are losing jobs to women Mm -hmm. and what happens to them? And I said, first of all, white men are not. White men are overly represented in executive positions, so I don't care about what happens to white men. But two, if that white man was to like lose a job out to a woman, he'll just end up getting another job somewhere else. He'll be fine. And he, because he had a little goofy example, and then he backdoored and said, "Well, yeah, I mean, with the guy I'm talking about, he ended up just getting a, another executive." I was like, "Well, so then, what are you talking about, Jack? Like, what are we actually having a conversation about at this point, right?" And so it just becomes like this huge exercise. And just ego, insecurity, and weakness. I don't want to say fragility because fragility intimates some level of like care that needs to be taken or some level of like something precious. There's nothing precious about white people constantly having to stamp down black progress, black voice, black, black, anything black and brown in the name of your power sustainment. That is not, there's nothing precious about that. That is sick. It is destructive. It's oppressive, right? It's wrong. And so like, you know, and and I know people have taken issue with like, even the term white fragility. Like if anyone is fragile, it's oppressed people because we've been beat down and yet we have to continue to stand back up and, 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 and deliver in spite of, we have to continue to grow and be successful in spite of we are the ones who should, who should be treated with some fragility because of the, the, the oppression that we have faced historically and the, and the micro macro regressions we continue to experience. Right. Um, anyway, you asked me one simple question tour and I went off. No, the, no off, I appreciate it, but no, I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I just I love yeah. the way that you just sort of couch that because it is. I mean, I'm I'm sitting here as a white woman watching this cringy as fuck conversation that this this white man is bringing to the table, and it is weakness. It, it is there's no other way to say it. It it is just pure and simple weakness, especially when you know so calmly and and much to much power to you on the ability to stay calm there is that you kept saying the data doesn't support it the data data doesn't support it and he just sort of could not live outside of his own bias that example of like well i've seen it i've seen it i've seen it that that was uh hopefully he watched it himself and has had some sort of uh, epiphany about how he 
represented himself to the rest of the world. Um, it, you know, and I, I just want to kind of go back to some of the things that we were talking about kind of in the beginning is, you know, during the introduction, part of, of that introduction was that you're just not sold um, on DEIB efforts in the workplace. Um, talk to us more about that um, and about respectability politics in the workplace. And, you know, where do we go from here? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. So So here's the thing. Like when you really examine um, the con- like concepts around inclusion and equity, they all go back to power. Everything goes back to power, right? So like, if you really want to create an, an, an environment where people are included and are treated equitably and are have a sense of belonging, then give those groups of people power so that they can help shape the, the work environment that is beneficial and helpful to them. Folks don't do that because they don't see black brown queer disabled women any intersection of all the all the different dimensions that i just named as worthy of quote unquote ruling of worthy of leadership right they don't and so because there's a uh, a refusal because uh, i would say resistance but at this point I, I we can see now it's 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 more than resistance it's refusal to really empower and put and and seed power um, to these people, then like we end up just kind of having a bunch of dog and pony shows. Like we end up having like a bunch of um, performative theater that looks good. Right. Um, That's why even like, shoot, I'll talk to you with living corporate, living corporate, we have a job board. We just launched it in July. This is going somewhere. I promise. Um, And organizations want to work with our job board and they quickly go, yeah, we have some great entry level positions that we can put on your job board. And I pause and I say, that's interesting because I sent you my my information deck about my audiences. And, you know, if you look at my information deck, I have a standard information deck I send out to everybody. One of the slides is who's our core audience. And part of our audience is Gen Zers. Part of our audience is Gen uh, Millennials, Gen Xers and then young baby boomers. And then I talk about it's black, it's black and brown. Here are the cities. So for you to look at that information and then say for you to default still or without even asking who our population is to default and say, we got some great entry level positions. We have some great college positions. It's like we are in like we we're just we're honestly conditioned to see black and brown, to see non-white straight men as inferior. And so 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 that's part of like just how DEI or DEIB or ID or whatever, however you want to, however you want to, you know, make the acronym up. There's limits there because there's a genuine resistance and refusal to cede power. So that's the first thing. And then when it comes to respectability politics, I think, you know, because whiteness is seen kind of going back to what I said earlier, like whiteness is seen as the is the default and and it is also the ideal. It is the it's the it is the North Star to be. So what happens is you have black and brown folks. We're conditioned and this has been historic historically for our own survival to, quote unquote, code switch, to put on a different personality, persona, voice to better assimilate into 
these majority white spaces. I think the obvious, um, the obvious fact though, that destroys all of that, that, that destroys all of the whole goal of culture is that white people know that you're not white. Okay. So I'm going to show up. I'm six to 285 pounds. I am black. It does not matter how I conjugate my verbs. It does not matter the tone in which I take in my speech pattern. It doesn't matter what um, pop culture I decide to reference. It does not matter the humorous uh, phrases I may take on. It doesn't matter how, how much I follow NASC. It doesn't matter. You're not going to do enough to outpace the fact that they see your different skin or the fact that they know that you're not a man or that you're like they're you can't you cannot outperform racism you cannot outperform your pigmentation and so the the trick we've but a lot of us we've we've deluded ourselves even now in 2022 that if we dress a certain way if we speak a certain way if we walk a certain way then white people will suddenly treat us like we're not not white <laughs> And we'll be able to ascend. And I can tell you, going back to what you said about my conversation with Jack, the data shows that respectability politics are not beneficial to black people as a whole. Right. We have fewer black CEOs, fewer black board members now than we ever had before in the past, like 40, 50 years. Like our numbers are not growing and increasing. Right. Like they're not. Morehouse is not churning out black CEOs every year. They're not. You don't see a bunch of black CEOs coming out of Howard. Like these are some of the the meccas of respectability, right? These these space Spellman. We do not see these are the places where black white organizations flock to to get black talent. And yet and yet even with that, we don't see booms of black representation and and, and even mid-level manager positions like let's not even talk about c-suite let's just talk about like director up like executive up we don't see a bunch of us and so like i'm on the go my goal is to be as free as possible in these spaces that do not want me to be free i'm going to show up as authentically me as i possibly can every single day i'm going to say what i want to say i'm going to say it with respect because i expect respect back I'm going to serve others. I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to be kind and I'm going to be me, but I'm not going and I'm not going to swallow who I am in the name of being accepted or thinking that that's going to be some type of camouflage. It isn't. It's not possible. You know, uh, you mentioned pop culture just a few moments ago, as well as, you know, the not mincing of words. And you actually um, you have some things to say. So I'm I'm, I'm going to assume that uh, a few months back, you saw the uh, social post of one of the rap stars and the political mouthpieces wearing shirts that said white lives matter. And, you know, it's one of those things where I don't comment. I don't really share those things because I just don't want to give them my attention. I don't want to amplify it. I just I like to stay away from that. But the part that I do want you to comment on is the coonery. You've often talked about the coonery that takes place. (laughs) And some people, Zach, may hear that as being offensive. But but the reason I'm bringing that up is because uh, more often than not, white people will look at 
black people and assume that we are doing DNI only for the favor or advantage of other black people, that we are doing this work because we are protecting our own, that we will support all of our own in a monolithic type way. What I see in you, in me, and in certainly a number of others is that we ain't for the bullshit. And so you, you will call out that coonery. Why is it important for you personally to hold all audiences accountable? Hey, because um, you're absolutely right. I'm going to call it out when I see it because it's destructive. It's harmful. It's wrong. Right. So like I'm going to call I, I try to call things down the middle um, and I'll say it's it's there's a certain additional level of. Um, of harm um, that happens when you have it, when you have white supremacy dressed up like white supremacy and blackface, um, you know, like. It's interesting. We actually had Caitlin Rosenthal on. This was years ago. It's like, like this is like maybe two years ago. Dr. Caitlin Rosenthal is the author of this um, this book called "Accounting for Slavery," and it's a study of organizational management, um, or rather, how slavery, chattel slavery, helped to shape and create a lot of the organizational management structures that we that we look at today. It's very, very riveting work. Um, I would recommend everybody check it out. It's incredible. But the point of it, the, what she talked about was, is that <laughs> that the whole idea of white folks delegating other black folks, sometimes black folks who are maybe older or who are maybe uh, maybe had a disability, uh, like a physical disability, they were too tired, too too weak to work um, or could not work in the conditions. I don't want to say they were weak, but they were too. They could not fulfill the the the, the field hand duties. They would be overseers they, they will be overseers under the chief overseer right and i am sensitive to the idea of black folks oppressing or creating other oppressive barriers for other black and brown folks i'm sensitive to um i'm sensitive to that because it's in, there's a it's insidious and it's it, there's a there's a layer of harm that black folks who decide to be coonish can take on torn because they can they're camouflage. They are camouflage with other black folks, at least or other black and brown people, at least for a season, because they look like the people that they're oppressing. And so it's important that they get called out. And not they don't and not that they get called out in a silo, but they have to be named because all skin folk are not kin folk. And if you don't name those people who are being harm harmful, then like you have all sorts of damage and chaos that could be created over time because they could be quietly usurping genuine efforts to really create equity at work. But you think this person's on your side. Meanwhile, they're running back to Massa telling, talking about you or or they just kind of throw little wrenches in what you're doing, asking you, well, what does that really mean? And well, why don't we try this and try that? And it it dilutes the message. It 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 just it, it's harmful. And so it's important that those people are held accountable within the context of this larger white supremacist system. I've yet to ever call out like a black diversity inclusion leader or a brown diversity inclusion leader without naming the system that they're participating in and really calling out that CEO right next to them. Because they're only moving like that because they're empowered to move. Mm. 
Interesting. You know what what he's saying, Jay, um, what I'm hearing, if I if I could synthesize that is um, those um, folks that are in blackface um, undergirding white supremacy and institutional systems that oppress other people, they're pulling that ladder up. They are the ones that are pulling that ladder up, making it harder uh, for other individuals to receive the development that they are so deserving of, the inspiration that they are so deserving of, the resource that they absolutely are deserving of. Those individuals are, they are, they are the chaos uh, in the system. And he is absolutely right. We need to underscore them. And so let me go back and just make a brief edit to my piece. I said, the uh, uh, rap star in the political mouthpiece, that would be Kanye and Candace Owens. Um, yes, that would be those two individuals that are dangerous. And, um, you know, they're the ones that are pulling the ladder up. So, Jay, take it away. Yeah. Uh, incredible, incredible conversation. Um, I've enjoyed it immensely. If you're interested in l- connecting with Zach, learning more about Living Corporate, you can go to their website, living-corporate.com. Zach's on Twitter at RevNunNunWisdom. Zach, where else can our listeners connect with you and, and your team over at Living Corporate? You know what? Just Google Living Corporate. You know what I mean? Like y'all got a bunch of links every day that y'all got to get out there. Um, just just check out Living Corporate. All right. Um, wow. What a conversation. You can only say wow when we have somebody who who is able to like talk about the corporate community, talk about the social community, talk about um, pop culture, if you will. Love how he could weave in a little bit of his opinion around politics. Zach, we really appreciate you um, for, for joining us here on Crazy and the King. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Her voice segment is where we amplify women that are making moves. And first up, Jay, I think you like the folks at Power to Fly. I do. I do. So Power to Fly co-founders Melinia Berry and Catherine Zaleski to fast track economic equity by upskilling and connecting underrepresented talent to roles in highly visible sectors. Love it. And we have Dr. Sheila Robinson. She is a celebrated publisher, best-selling author on leadership, inspiring speaker, and talent innovation specialist. Her company is Diversity Women Media. It's been recognized nationally as a leading multi-platform enterprise with program offerings that advances all dimensions of diversity and inclusion. 
And to wrap up this episode, Julia Guerin, Manager of Education Partner Program at HubSpot, and Kim Diaz, Director of Talent and Outreach at Pixar. These two names came from the untapped 100 DEIB leaders for 2022. As always, you can check out the full list at untapped.io. Untapped.io. Some incredible names on that list. And if you missed our episode with Tarek Myers, you can kind of scroll back. I know it dropped at some point in early October. Go catch the replay. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our newsletter, Crazy and the King. We close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe and to find your voice. Be a better human. Let's create better culture, teams, and workplaces. For now, Jay and I are in that holiday spirit. And we're ghosts. See ya. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.